It's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Christian Post podcast. I am excited today to be joined by Michael Grabowski. He is a reporter at The Post. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. So you have been covering uh, so many topics over the years. One of the recent subjects that you've been tracking with and you've actually done quite a bit of work on this, is the United Methodist Church and the ongoing debate about marriage and sexuality that is going on within the denomination. Now, in 2019, the UMC upheld traditional marriage and sexuality, and that was a really big moment, and there's a lot to sort of unpack there, but can you describe for us that decision and what the reaction was to it inside of the denomination? All right. Well, um, first, a brief bit of background. With the United Methodist Church, uh, they have a general conference. It's a denomination-wide gathering which focuses on legislation regarding what the Church stands for and possibly amending its, its main rule book, which is the Book of Discipline. Now, what happened was, because of the, the, the tenuous and constantly divisive debates over the issues of you know, marriage and sexuality, they held a special session. Uh, a special session general conference in 2019. Uh, so not, not the usual every four years that they do. And at that special session, the goal had been to resolve this debate once and for all. And what happened was there was a major push for something known as the One Church Plan. And the One Church Plan, among its provisions, its main goal was to allow for regional bodies and, and even individual congregations to decide which stance they would take on marriage and sexuality. You know, would they allow for openly gay ordination or not? You know, would they allow for the blessing of same-sex unions or not? And the One Church Plan had a lot of backing from the institutional United Methodists. Uh, you know, bishops, major big-name pastors you know, put their backing to the One Church Plan. However, uh, to the surprise of many people, the One Church Plan failed, and it kind of failed miserably because it didn't even get to a, a plenary vote on the last day of the special session. Instead, the traditional plan, which, which reaffirmed the current stance of the UMC, uh, upholding traditional marriage and sexuality, as you mentioned, they, that was approved in a vote of 438 to 384. Now, there was a lot of shock in the denomination over this because a lot of people, again, you know, in the in the higher ranks and so forth, thought that, you know, the one church plan was going to get passed. It was seen as a compromise. A lot of progressives felt it was a compromise, a, a justifiable compromise with with their conservative peers. Uh, but the fact that it failed so excess so thoroughly was a major shock to people. And although the special session was supposed to resolve the issue, that was kind of the goal of having it in the first place, it really didn't move the needle all that much. Um, both sides kind of remained entrenched. Uh, I, re I remember one of my articles I did uh, on the fallout from the special session back in 2019. I, I, you know, I asked various you know, pro-LGBT Methodist groups, you know, well, do you, are you guys going to leave now? Um, do you know of churches that you're connected to? Are they going to leave? And what they told me is they didn't know of anybody who was leaving, um, that they were still there. They were still planning to resist uh, the traditional plan and the implement, implementation of the traditional plan, they were still going to resist the rules that were already in place. So the, se the special session ended up not really moving the needle one way or the other on the debate. That is interesting for a lot of reasons. And even that vote, it's a, it was obviously a majority, but you have a sizable 
proportion of the delegates saying, I mean, it's what a hundred some odd off, you know, from, so, so there's clearly a lot of people who were not happy with that, um, decision. Now, can you explain for us, people might not realize this. I, I'm a non-denominational Christian. A lot of other people are as well. And other denominations might not have specific rule books laid out. You know, the, the United Methodist Church, they have the Book of Discipline. And that's where this stance is solidified and outlined. And that's really the language that a lot of this discussion is revolving around. Can you just give us a brief explanation of what that Book of Discipline is? Uh, basically, it is a rule book. It, it contains um, practices, I, you know, policies. It also contains things that can't be amended, like beliefs. And what happened was, back in the 1970s, uh, at, at, at General Conference, they added language, the language that's currently being argued over, which clarified uh, that, you know, the, the practice, and I quote, the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, end quote. And they added that language in the 70s. It's not that they didn't believe it before the 1970s, but this kind of made it official that, you know, that they weren't going to allow for the ordination of, you know, non-celibate homosexual persons, that they um, weren't going to allow for the blessing of same-sex unions. And also, another one which doesn't get talked about as much is they wouldn't allow for the funding of LGBT advocacy groups as well. And so that was, so these were things that were, added to the Book of Discipline, and there's been a lot of debate over the years. You know, every four years, it basically comes up at General Conference. And it was going to come up in May 2020, because that was the next scheduled General Conference. But of course, pandemic lockdowns stopped that one from happening when it did. And that one got postponed and then postponed again. And that General Conference is scheduled to happen uh, late August, I think August 29th to September, early September of next year. So now you you flash forward to 2021, because again, this is not a new debate. It has been going on. And there was that big moment in 2019. Now in 2021, back I think in March, in early March, theological conservatives within the denomination, they unveiled a plan for a new denomination. Can you explain why and what that entails? Uh, well, the um, the denomination in question, they gave it the name the Global Methodist Church, and uh, right now it's sort of kind of in a weird limbo stasis. It's not quite officially launched because they're waiting for the next general conference to approve legislation that would allow for more gracious dismissal and separation from the denomination. Uh, but basically, the reason why a lot of conservatives want to leave the UMC, it, and it is, it is different from other mainline Protestant denominations, with, with the Episcopal Church or Presbyterian Church USA, the reason why conservatives left in large numbers was because the denomination changed their stance on the issue. But with the conservatives in the UMC, the big issue they have is that they don't believe that the rules are being enforced. And, and really, there aren't. There's plenty of resistance from bishops and other clergy, a lot of stalling or just outright refusal to to enforce the book of discipline language uh, that's a major you know point of frustration for conservatives in the UMC uh, a great example of this is actually um was in 2016 uh, in 2016 the united methodist church's western jurisdiction unanimously elected a woman named Karen Olivetto to be bishop of the UMC mountain area mountain sky area and uh, Olivetto is in a same-sex marriage, which clearly, def- you know, is in contradiction to the Book of Discipline. And indeed, uh, somebody filed a complaint against her. And in 2017, the United Methodist Judicial Council, which is the UMC's highest church court, 
you know, ruled against her election, said that her election violated church law. However, even though back in 2017, the Judicial Council said that Oliveto shouldn't be a bishop, she's still a bishop as of today. And the reason why is because there are people in that, that regional body, the bureaucratic structure in that regional body just will not, they're dragging their feet on the process that they were ordered to do to get her removed. So there's a lot of that frustration regarding enforcement of the rules. You know, how do you have an organization with specific rules and regulations that are not followed? And and the reason I ask this question, this is a, it's a structural issue to me. If you have a book of discipline and obviously you have scripture and that's the baseline of any, of any Christian denomination, and then you have this book of discipline and you're not following one part of it, what's to stop other people from not following the other parts of it and also not being held accountable for it? That That is the interesting part of this to me, just from an organizational structural perspective. Well, the big thing with them, and with the the progressive wing of the denomination and, and to those who are especially very much defying the rules openly, you know, for them, it's, it's, it's basically the same arguments you've heard in mainstream culture when it comes down to the LGBT debate. It's, you know, society is going a certain direction, be on the right side of history. This is the next civil rights movement. This type of language and, and reasoning comes forth. And, and one of the things we all remember about the 1960 civil rights movement was civil disobedience and the refusal of people to follow rules they found morally objectionable. So if you think of yourself, if you believe that you are on the right side of history, and you believe that you are the next civil rights movement, then engaging in civil disobedience against rules that you disagree with becomes basically the next logical step. Mm. Yeah, no, and, and that and that actually does make sense. That makes sense from a structural perspective, too, that in order to change structure, you're going to do that. Um, whether or not that change is what is scriptural is another is another question, You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. As we sort of round out this discussion, because you've done an amazing job of recapping this, I think a lot of people have questions they want to know, they want to understand, and you've and you've helped us do that. What do you think happens next as somebody who has reported on this and looked at this? What are the next and some of this may be speculative, but I'm just I'm I'm curious what you think will be happening in the coming months and years. Well, we've been getting some some signs of what will possibly happen. For now, the number of churches that have left the UMC has been at a trickle. You've had some churches leave because they're just sick of the debate and they think that the the stance of the UMC is going to change eventually to something they don't like, so they've gone ahead and already you've know, gone through the process of dismissal from the denomination. You have some congregations, more recently, a few here and there, who have decided to leave the UMC because they don't like the current stance of the denomination. They've decided that after all these decades, they they think it's just never going to change, and so they've gone ahead and just quit. So, But for now, this is a trickle. This is just a few congregations for a denomination that is the third largest religious group in America, you know, behind the Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist Convention. What What many people believe will happen 
is that the next general conference, the one that, as I said, is meant is slated to begin in late August of 2022, it's believed by many that that's going to be the flashpoint. That's going to be the, uh, the, the breaking point. That's going to be whatever happens there is going to lead to schism between conservatives and progressives. And one of the things that's believed that will propagate that, advance that, is that there is legislation being proposed for the general conference next year that was inspired by something that was introduced in January 2020 known as the Protocol of Reconciliation and Grace Through Separation, or the Protocol for short. Now, this protocol, it was an unofficial thing, but a lot of high-ranking United Methodists representing all sides of this debate signed on to it, and it basically, the protocol simplified says that, uh, you know, that the United Methodist Church will create uh, a an amount of money, I think around $25 million, to create a breakaway conservative denomination for churches who don't want to, you know, deal with this debate anymore and want to maintain traditional views. And they'll make it easier for churches to leave the denomination, you know, more of a gracious dismissal process. And the idea is that they'll pass that, or legislation based on that, conservative churches will be allowed to leave and join this new denomination, Whoever's left, which presumably will be mostly liberals, will then change the stance of the UMC. Now, that's the that's sort of the idea that a lot of people see happening next year. Now, the thing is, though, there are people who don't like the protocol. There are people who want to. There are, uh, I think, for example, I think a lot of African bishops who hold conservative views on theology still want to don't want the protocol to pass. So there is, there, it's not a guarantee that it will pass, but. The thing is, though, there's also a sense, the other, another variable, another speculation here, there is a sense that even if the protocol doesn't pass, it's just going to be seen, this upcoming general conference will be seen as the last straw, and conservatives might, might leave in large numbers anyway to go ahead and start that new denomination anyway, uh, regardless of what happens. So there is a lot of, as you said, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of uncertainty, but there is a sense in general that something's going to be different by the end of next year's general conference. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess everybody believes they're fighting for the soul of the denomination. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the, yeah. that is the interesting thing in a situation like this, because you have people who are standing by the biblical account of marriage, and you have people who have a very different view on that, and they're they're clashing over it. And so it's going to be interesting to see where that lands and where that ends up. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. And anybody listening, make sure you head over to Christian Post. You can read Michael's amazing stories on this topic over at The Post. And be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of the Christian Post podcast. Christian Post.